Okay, that worked better that time. If you'd like to go ahead and turn in your Bibles this evening to Matthew chapter 9, then you can do that. And then if you will stick a bookmark or your finger or your Bible ribbon, if it's not being currently used to mark another passage you want to remember there and flip over to Proverbs 23, that's the first passage we're actually going to look at in just a few minutes this evening. Now, as you are turning there, I want to begin tonight by telling you a story from my past. And uh, not only will it let you get to know me just a little bit more, but I think it will also help set the, our minds in the right direction for what we want to look at this evening. From the time I was in fifth grade, I wanted to be a band director. I wanted to be in music education. That was my plan. And I mean it. All the way from fifth grade, all the way through high school, I did not waver from that. I wanted to be a band director. I wanted to teach music to kids. I wanted to uh, teach marching bands and things like that and play music on the side if I got the opportunity to do that. And so I geared my life around all of that. Now, if you can't begin to see how somebody who is in fifth grade, who then spends literally the next eight years of their life as they are growing, continually thinking, that's what I'm going to be, that's what I'm going to be, that's what I'm going to be, and, and planning everything in their life around being that, uh, could potentially put a little bit of pressure on that person, a little bit of internal pressure, uh, then uh, let me tell you, that's what I did. I put a lot of pressure on myself, so much so that when I finally got to college, uh, which is what I had been looking forward to, I, you know, a lot of kids have senioritis. I had junioritis. I was ready to graduate my junior year of high school and go on to other things. But when I finally got there, there was something that happened that uh, it wasn't any one particular thing, but I, I played the trumpet. That was my instrument uh, all throughout middle school and high school. That was going to be my main instrument in college. But I noticed that I had problems being able to play for very long. We, we talk about stamina whenever it comes to playing a brass instrument. It's a very physical thing. And I started having problems being able to play, being able to make it through a day of rehearsals. It, and it was literally a day of rehearsals. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I would start first thing in the morning and have a two-hour rehearsal or hour-and-a-half rehearsal and then a little time for lunch and then another uh, band rehearsal and then another rehearsal after that. And I would finally be done about 5 o'clock or 5.30 in the evening. I got to where I couldn't play. I got to where actually I was not enjoying it in the least. And I struggled with that because here I was, this is something that I really wanted to do. Matter of fact, for, for most of my life at that point, that is what I had set my mind on doing. I hadn't thought about doing anything else. Finally, it got to the point that not only was I having problems playing my instrument, I was starting to get physically sick. And I don't mean sick at your stomach sort of things where you're nervous. I mean sick from the standpoint of, of what seems like allergies or flu-like symptoms. I just constantly had those problems. I finally got to the point, and thankfully the, the Lord was kind to me and gave me another avenue there to get out of that mess in communications. And I've been pretty good at that too. 
but I switched over to uh, from being a music major to being a communications major and got into all the technology and, and things like that that some of you know that I, I dabble in a little bit. Literally the day that I made up my mind that I was going to change my major, that I was going to do something different with my life, just like that, I was better. I stopped being sick. I was obviously a lot happier. I actually got a little bit better at playing my trumpet, strangely enough. And even a few years after that, uh, whenever... My wife and I had already been preaching at this point, but we worked with a congregation in Kentucky and the local university. I knew the band director, one of the band directors there at Murray State, and uh, he was putting together a community symphonic band. And so I joined it. And the strange thing was, after just a few weeks of kind of getting my muscles back going with my face, buzzing my lips, like you are supposed to to play the trumpet, I felt like I could play better having not touched the instrument for seven or eight or nine years than I could when I was in college. I could play for longer. It was easier for me to read. Do you know what the problem was and what I realized the problem was? It was right here. I had our section leader one time in college tell me, you know, Daniel... I've always heard people talk about paralysis by analysis, and I, I always thought it was just something people talked about, but you have put a face to that. You have shown me that you can, you can do that. You've got to calm down. You've got to ease up. Now, the reason I mention any of this tonight is to say that our minds, our thoughts, are powerful things. They can affect our physical bodies if we let them go on long enough. And I wonder if sometimes we fail to fully appreciate the power of our thoughts. And I don't just mean from the standpoint of, of worry and anxiety and how that can make us sick. And there are, by the way, all kinds of studies that you can just get on Dr. Google and find about how it is that stress and anxiety can Shorten your lifespan can cause you to have all kinds of physical problems even. And I believe it because that's sort of what happened to me. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just physical things. Look at Proverbs 23, if you will, with me for just a moment. I don't know how much you have thought about this, but the Bible has quite a bit to say about our thoughts. Now, a lot of times we tend to focus on actions and words and if we do think about thoughts, then we think about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, whatever that means to you. But it may, it may not go past that. But there's lots of little passages, uh, and I say little, I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious in this, lots of passages that deal with the inner person and what's going on within us more than just love, more than just joy and affection and anxiety. For example, here in Proverbs 23, if you have the King James Version, starting in verse 7, you may be familiar with this verse. Even the New King James, I believe, says something to the effect of, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'm quoting that out of the King James English, King James Version. English Standard Version has it translated a little bit differently, but I think it helps us get to the point here. 
Because this is not just a statement about people in general, although that's a true statement, as we'll see. But I want to look going back to verse 6 for just a moment. Notice what it is that the, the writer here says. He says, Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. That's the, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Now think with me for just a moment about, uh, about what it is that he's actually saying here. It says, don't eat the bread of a man who is stingy or of a miser, we might uh, put it that way, or the Hebrew is literally, if you've got a footnote in your Bible, it may say something to the effect of, for as he calculates in his soul. Here's the scenario. This person has given you something. In other words, they're doing a good thing. They've given you food. But every bite you take, do you know what they're doing in their mind? Do you know what they're thinking? They're thinking about what every bite you take cost. Notice what it says there. As, uh, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating or calculating in his soul. In other words, he may have given you the bread, but even though he's given you the bread, he apparently didn't really want to give you the bread and every little bit that you eat is, 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 is making a mental tally of these things. And he goes on to say why you should not eat this person's bread Eat and drink, he says to you. Not only is he doing the right outward thing, he's also saying the right outward thing. He says eat and drink, but because he is a stingy man, because he's not doing it with the right thing in mind, he says what? Verse 7, but his heart is not with you. What's the issue here? This person is doing the right things. This person is saying the right things, but he's not thinking the right things. This person is not behaving in your best interests. Even if you think they are, even if all the outward appearance says so, they're not. And what's the point that we get from this? What a person thinks matters. It can negate even what they do or say. Then we've got what Solomon writes over in Proverbs 4. If you'll look there with me for just a moment. Here's what I want you to begin to consider tonight as we get into our text here in just a second. And, and maybe ask yourself this. Do you think of your thoughts as real things? Do we think of our thoughts as real things? Because I'm afraid very often we dismiss the power of our thoughts. We dismiss their importance. When what Solomon writes here in Proverbs 4, if you look down to verse 23 with me, he writes, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, we may as well go ahead and say this just so that we've got this uh, down before we get any further. Of course, when it talks about the heart here, uh, what he's talking about is what we would think of as the mind, where thoughts take place. They felt in their stomach and thought in their hearts. We feel in our hearts and think in our heads. So make that mental translation there. But here's the point that Solomon is making. That last statement there, for from it flow the springs of life, we could essentially say this. 
You become, your life becomes what you think. Your life becomes what you think. And that's why it is, I believe, when we get over to our text in Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus emphasizes this in the question that he asks, which is the theme for tonight's lesson, why do you think evil in your hearts? Let's go ahead and read beginning in Matthew chapter 9, and we'll do the first eight verses of that chapter that serves as our text. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now I want to work backwards in this passage for just a moment. If you mark in your Bible, you might underline the word authority because everything that we're looking at here in this passage revolves around that word in some sense. Now going back to the, the middle, or the beginning actually, we're just really going to focus on the first four verses here. Jesus comes to his own city. This city that he comes to, we can, by reasoning this out, realize that he's talking about Capernaum there. And if you go look at other passages, for example, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13, it essentially tells us that Jesus moved to Capernaum. That was even in line with prophecy that had been made about where the Messiah would do a lot of his work. And a lot of Jesus' miracles were done in Capernaum. It was one of those cities that Jesus rebuked because had Sodom and Gomorrah seen the things that Capernaum had seen, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented is is what Jesus said on one occasion. But as he's there in Capernaum, he is teaching, and there are four men who we learn from the other accounts. By the way, you can read a little bit more information or different bits of information that Mark and Luke add in their accounts of this in Mark chapter 2 and then also in Luke chapter 5. But this is the story about these men who try to bring their paralyzed friend in and the house is too full and so they go up on the roof and then they break through the roof and they lower their paralyzed friend down into the room with Jesus. You remember that story, don't you? Well, that one makes a good VBS story. It makes a good kid children's Bible story. I mean, nobody ever... I would love to do a VBS where we actually broke through a roof and lowered somebody through, but... I don't know that we'll be able to do that. So Matthew doesn't tell us about that part, but he focuses on something here. You've got these men, they, they lower their paralyzed friend, and here's what Jesus says to that man. He says, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now this sets off the scribes, and just so you know a little bit about the scribes and, and what it is that they're doing there, you, you may know this, but just to remind you, 
The scribes would be the ones who, uh, by their, the name of their profession, they copied down the law. And so they were responsible for not just making copies of the law of the Old Testament, but they also, in doing that, would have been very familiar. And they, they took on sort of a role of teacher as well. And uh, they were considered to be authorities in what the law said. So when Jesus has the audacity in their minds to forgive this man, that immediately, that sets off alarm bells in their minds because they know that's not what the law says. As a matter of fact, there's, there's no sacrifice taking place right here, so he's not even doing it in the right way. But if you go and you look at what the other accounts, for example, flip over to Mark chapter 2 with me for just a moment, and Luke's echoes what we see here in Mark, so we'll just look at it for the sake of time this evening. In Mark chapter 2, looking down to verse 7, we get a little more information about what upset them. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I told you to underline the word authority in verse 8 because everything in this passage really revolves around that. What they were upset about is that Jesus had the audacity to do something that they didn't think he had the authority to do. That's why whenever he goes on later and heals this man and proves that he did have the authority, that everyone was amazed that such authority had been given to men. But here's the thing. The issue is not that they are confused. The issue here is not that they are simply mistaken. I mean, how many of you have ever been mistaken about something that the Bible says. I'll raise my hand. But that's not what the problem is here. The problem revolves around that issue of authority. They don't believe that Jesus is who other people think that he is who he is already, by the way, I didn't mention this, Matthew doesn't really put things in chronological order all the time. That's why if you'll notice, Mark has this in Mark chapter 2. Of course, Mark skips a huge part of Jesus' ministry as well and in his record, and then Luke's got it in what seems like a different place. Matthew groups things together in uh, topics. And if you go back to chapter 8, you'll look chapter 8 and verse 23, Jesus calms a storm. You look to, to Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28, and Jesus cast demons out of two men. And then we get here to chapter 9, and Jesus heals a paralyzed man and also tells him he is forgiven of his sins. And those things show us what? Jesus has authority over nature. Jesus has authority over the demons. And now Jesus has authority to do what? Heal and forgive. And they don't accept his authority. And so that's why they are thinking what they are thinking. So there's more to it than just being mistaken. And so Jesus asked this question, verse 4, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus confronts them about their very 
thoughts. Now there's a little bit of confusion about whether they were whispering this to themselves or whether this was uttered at all, whether Jesus miraculously knew what they were thinking or whether Jesus just knew mankind well enough to to know what they would have been thinking. But what matters is Jesus confronts them about their thoughts. Their very thoughts he refers to as being evil. Again, they weren't just mistaken. They weren't confused. They were thinking evil things in their hearts. If you follow on the rest of this story, then you know what kinds of evil things they would eventually think that would put Jesus on the cross. But Jesus asked, why? Why are you doing this? And in the text, they don't answer. Why are you thinking... Why, you know, I do this to my kids whenever they do something, and I have, half the time when I say it, I really don't expect an answer. I just want them to think. But they'll do something, excuse the way I put this, that was knuckleheaded. I love them, but sometimes they can be knuckleheads. And I say, why... Did you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Well, come back to me when you know. Occasionally I get an answer. I get them to think it through. But most of the time, I don't know. I have to think that that's probably what they had in their minds. I don't know why are we doing this. If they even thought about it. Jesus is inviting them to think about it. Why are you doing this? Well, I can tell you why, even though they don't answer. For example, when we look over to James chapter 1 to another very well-known passage, I think, to most of us, James chapter 1, looking down to verse 13, here's what it boils down to. They wanted things that Jesus had. Later on, even as Pilate is passing his judgment on Jesus and the crowds are screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate acknowledges there, Mark mentions this in Mark 15, how Pilate knew that Jesus had done nothing wrong, but it was just because of jealousy. Just because of envy. They wanted what Jesus had, and so they thought evil things about him. James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But here's the key. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. What is desire? What, what is it? You want something. Where do you want something? Inside, right? Lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. In other words, he pictures it like a baby being conceived here. When you think about it enough, eventually what happens? You birth a baby. And that baby here in this case is what? Whatever that sinful action is, what did they do? Well, they thought about it enough that they were going to reject who this man was and what ended up happening. Those evil thoughts took them down the wrong path. 
And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I'm pretty sure that clock is fast. I want to give you a couple of things to think about tonight that I think we gain from this passage. Just two big things. The first thing is a realization, and the second thing is a reflection that I want you to make. And I'm going to try to spend just a few minutes on each one here. The first thing that I think when we read this passage and we look at what Jesus asks in this question, we ought to have a realization. And that realization is what I've already mentioned several times to this point this evening. And that is that our thoughts matter. Our thoughts are real, consequential things. We may not be able to touch them. We may not be able to see them. We may not be able to smell them. But they are just as real as anything in the physical world that you can lay your hand on or your eye on. And they have consequences when they run unchecked. I'll give you a good example of this, and it comes right from the very beginning of Scripture. Look back to Genesis chapter 4 with me for just a moment. In Genesis 4, we have there a story that, again, makes a really good VBS Bible class story for kids. Cain and Abel. But I want to look at Cain and Abel here specifically beginning in verse 6, or actually verse 5. And I want, you to, I want you to see if you've ever noticed this before or not. Of course, after they give their offerings, Abel is accepted. But verse 5, for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, talking about God. So notice, Cain feels some things. Cain feels very angry, and his face fell. That's just another way of, of you picture discouragement, extreme sadness. His face falls. It's a visual description of that. So what we have here are feelings that he felt. And here's where I want to point out something to you that I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. It's important that we draw a distinction between our feelings and our thoughts. A lot of times we just kind of mash them all together. But you may think of it this way. Our feelings are going to happen for a reason. God gave us feelings. God gave us the ability to feel anger. He also gave us the ability to feel joy. He gave us the ability to feel fear. And those are all useful things. Kind of like in your car, the lights that come on, maybe if a tire is low on air, or if your oil is low, or if you're having... You ever seen those? If your gas is low, what happens? A little light comes on. And that light is, is not for decoration. It's not there to, to just give you something pretty to look at or glance at every so often while you're driving down the road. When the light for low fuel comes on, it's intending to do what? Get you to go do something about that so you're not stranded on the side of the road. Not see how big that reserve in your tank is. <clears throat> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Our feelings behave a lot the same way. 
When I feel angry about something, then I need to ask, why am I angry? And then I do something with it. When I feel afraid, I need to ask, why am I afraid? And then I need to process it. Cain feels angry. Cain feels sad. But what does Cain do with his feelings? He then takes those feelings and instead of dealing with them, which should he have felt angry? Yes, he should have felt angry. But his anger should have been at what? Why didn't I do what I was supposed to do? Should he have felt guilty? Should he have felt sadness? Yes. But why? Why didn't I do what I was supposed to do? So a healthy way of thinking about that, thinking about that would have been what? Next time I do what? I do what's right. And God confronts him about this. He says, if you do well... Actually, going back to verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Just like Jesus asked, why do you think evil in your hearts? God asked what to Cain? Why do you feel this way? What's he inviting him to do? Think about it. And he reasons with him. If you do well, will you not be accepted? The answer to that is, yes. If you do not do well, then what? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary or against you, but you must rule over it. Have you ever noticed how God is attempting to redeem Cain here? He's giving him an opportunity to do what? Think about what he's doing. Except Cain thinks what? Cain thinks evil. And then Cain does evil. So there ought to be a realization in this. Our thoughts are not harmless things. We become what we think. And there are other passages we could look at and consider as well. I'll give you them... To, to look at on your own time here. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, talking about the right mindset, the right way of thinking. The mind that is set on the things of the Spirit leads to life, but the mind that is set on the things of the flesh leads to death. But it all revolves around what? What am I thinking? And why am I thinking it? Is there a first bell? Just one bell? Okay. So I need, okay. All right, here's the, the last thing. Along with that realization, this ought to cause us to have some reflection. What are my thoughts and why am I thinking what I'm thinking? Jesus asked, why do you think evil in your hearts? Why do I think what I think? I don't know about you, I like to window shop. I like to browse the internet. I like whenever the catalogs from the stores I like to visit. I've got a couple of catalogs I get on a regular basis from Guitar Center. I like browsing that one. I get a catalog from Harbor Freight Tools. How many of you get a catalog from Harbor Freight? And the emails. I like to browse that. I get a catalog from 
lots of places like that. And there's a lot of things in those catalogs I will never buy, but I like to look at them and I like to think about it. What would it be like if I owned this? Boy, this job that I took me three hours to do the other day would take me 15 minutes if I had this tool. It's probably an exaggeration, but it feels that way. Now, I'm probably never going to buy it. And I drive my wife nuts with this because she doesn't like going into a store just to look. I wonder, though, the reason I mention that is I wonder if maybe sometimes we window shop with sin. Do you, do you get the connection here? No, I, I may not do that, but I might think about it. Imagine what it would be like. What I want you to understand tonight is that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. That's the danger. And so ask yourself, reflect. What consumes my thoughts? Is it anxiety? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it suspicion? Is it perhaps lust or evil desires or evil plans? Is it covetousness? It's funny I mentioned covetousness considering I'm talking about looking at catalogs where I want to buy stuff. Or... But reflect on that. If so, why? What, what is that that you're thinking? I'm going to go ahead and pause here and then I'll end in the devotional time here in just a minute. If you want to flip over to Psalm 19, that's where we'll end things in just a few minutes.